Tobe Johnson, Brett Eichenberger, we're discussing their new documentary. It's a sequel of The Flash of Beauty, Paranormal Bigfoot, the sequel to Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. Once again, either Tobe or Brett, how do people uh, screen either or both of these documentaries? So, Richard, you can find A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed right now on Amazon.com. It is also available on Tubi and a number of other, uh, other places. And again, like I mentioned earlier in the show, we are changing distributors, and so um, it may come down for a week or two, but it'll be back up soon. And then our film right now um, that we're discussing tonight, A Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot, is available on Vimeo.com right now. We hope to have it up. It has just recently been approved for Amazon, so it should be up hopefully by the end of the year, if not in the next couple of weeks. Uh, <clears throat> you can watch that right now on Vimeo.com, which is Vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash Paranormal Bigfoot. And follow us on Facebook at A Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed, and you can get links from there. And we like to interact with people, and we like to hear stories. All right. Uh, Dr. Simeon Hine is in the film, and he's just a fascinating individual. I love speaking with, uh, with Simeon, the author of Dark Matter, Monsters, uh, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms. Uh, he talks about something called coherent matter. I think he also talks about something, uh, relic neutrinos, which happened at the time of the Big Bang, and how relic neutrinos, coherent matter, uh, quantum mechanics uh, may explain the these paranormal phenomena that have been associated with Bigfoot sightings. Um, I mean, I know neither of you are, are, are scientists, but can you kind of, I don't know, try and summarize what it is Dr. Hine is, is, is talking about here? Well, yeah, quantum mechanics is pretty crazily complicated. And um, it, you know, it can do weird things like quantum entanglement, which is, you know, particles that are entangled that can be separated, you know, from each other. You know, one could be on the earth, one could be on the moon. And if you stimulate the one on the earth, the one on the moon moves, uh, so on and so forth. So it, it gets very complicated. And just like you said, I am not a scientist, so I'm probably bungling the science here. But what I can say, Richard, is that Dr. Simeon Hine has got some wonderful theories how this might all come together. And a lot of it has to do with electromagnetic energy. And we are seeing a lot of the same phenomenon with UFO sightings, with ghost phenomenon, we are seeing this kind of trifecta of paranormal activity that kind of circles back to um, this whole quantum mechanics, quantum physics thing. And I know your next guest, Ashton's going to talk a little bit about, you know, this plane that just kind of disappears into a portal. These are some of the same types of things that Bigfoot witnesses have seen. I've talked to some people that have seen portals. They've seen things come out of portals. And when I say things, I mean creatures that we don't have here on earth that we did or they're not visible to us on earth um so it is it, again it's very complex we try and simplify it as much as possible but i would highly suggest that folks pick up dr Simeon Hunt's book dark matter monsters which is what he is basing a lot of what he's talking about in the documentary about um it is extremely fascinating i think i think people are just absolutely going to love these theories and again like i said 
these are relevant to some of the other phenomena that is currently in the in the media and in the press regarding UAPs. The uh, getting back to UFOs for a moment, um, are there parallels or a lot of commonalities between a a a, a UFO uh, ET contactee? And a Bigfoot contactee? I mean, do we use that term, Bigfoot contactee? I think we do. I think we uh, we should embrace that term uh, because it points to a lot of overlap. Once again, it's hard to not call Bigfoot an alien altogether just in terms of the behavior and the proximity to not only these orbs but craft. Um, certainly I got an email once from Linda Moulton Howe, uh, that stated as such that when she was interviewing witnesses, they actually saw Sasquatch on craft with them. Uh, we were talking earlier about missing time. Uh, certainly people uh, have seen grays in proximity to Bigfoot on, on land. Um, you know, some of these smaller impressions are pretty interesting, too, in regards to not only Bigfoot tracks that people describe, the five-toed, 17-inch tracks that are five six feet apart, you know, most common, uh, that disappear in snow banks or just inexplicably disappear in the middle of a field, but also these tiny little moon boot prints that look like they almost belong to something alien in nature that uh, is wearing footwear. These have been found in proximity to Sasquatch tracks as well. So, you know, this, this all goes back to the history of looking into the fairies and the gnomes trolls and things like that, we can, we can find these stories about aliens per se through, uh, you know, not only the written history, but our oral tradition. And on the facades of, of churches, we, we show a, a picture of such in this documentary. So there, again, is as much overlap. Uh, you mentioned Ron Moorhead. He's in the film, Bigfoot researcher. And uh, many of us are familiar with the Sierra sounds recorded where Bigfoot uh, the the chatter, the mumbling, it almost sounds like they're speaking uh, like sam- samurai warriors, the samurai uh, language, if you will. Um, wh- what do you make of that? I mean, what did you get out of your, your interview with Ron Moorhead? Well, you know, this is kind of a newsflash, Richard. We're, we're also working, that's our next project, is we're doing a documentary on Ron Moorhead and the Sierra Sounds experience. And um, what I can tell you is that it is an absolutely phenomenal story that I think people, people have gotten a great telling of that story from Ron. And Ron has such incredible uh, recordings. Um, but um, I think the story goes even further. Um, I am 100% convinced that what they were dealing with and what they were witnessing was some sort of Sasquatch. Um, it was. Just, I think it was. I believe it was a Sasquatch tribe. I believe it was. Um, you know, adults, potentially juveniles. Um, and what was really interesting about that experience was, over time, the Sasquatch tribe tended to kind of warm up to these guys. Uh, when these sounds first started appearing in the 1960s. Um, I think the mid to late 1960s, they were very aggressive. And as time went on, uh, things started changing. You know, they started, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, they would, 
you know, these guys up in Sierra Camp would sit around the campfire at night and, you know, they used pine cones for fuel and they just kept tossing them on the fire until they exhausted the pine cones. And in the morning they'd wake up and there'd be buckets full of pine cones. You know, but these these Bigfoot kind of were like, no, no, you guys got to stay another night. Here's more fuel for you. You know, and, and that's a story that's not uncommon that we've heard from many people, you know, Tobe included. I think there's some very touching stories in our film about the gifting process and how personal the gifting process is. Um, but as far as Ron's story is concerned, uh, it's, you know, he's a very lucky man to have experienced what he's experienced because those voices and those recordings seem to be, although people have gotten recordings and howlings and stuff in other areas, they haven't gotten entire conversations. Um, and I think that it is as important as the Patterson-Gimlin film in a lot of ways, and possibly even more so, because I think eventually we're going to be able to figure out, maybe with the aid of AI, we're going to be able to figure out some sort of a language that these things were speaking. Oh, that's interesting. You Using uh, artificial intelligence in, the, uh, in Bigfoot research. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, let's go to the phones west of the Rockies, and Jason is in Olympia, Washington. Jason, welcome to Coast. Richard, thank you for taking my call, and uh, what a wonderful uh, guest tonight that we have is Tobin Brett, and uh, I just wanted to ask Tobin Brett a question. Uh, I'm a search and rescue volunteer up here in Washington State. Uh, I've been on, oh gosh, at least over 40 missions looking for missing people, and I wanted to share a Bigfoot story uh, that I know of and that our unit knows of. There was a place up here, I'm going to leave it undisclosed, but north of a lake that a yurt-type structure was found uh, with at least, I don't know, eight or nine uh, deer carcasses found around it. And all the uh, boughs of the trees that were used to build this structure uh, were ripped off of trees. There was no sawdust or axe cuts on it. Um, when the logging company found this structure, they closed the whole area down, put up gates, and it was a no-go area. Well, I just got off the mountain a bit ago from an active search. But uh, I, my question, I'll keep it short because I know there's other callers. My question for Tobe and Brett are, do, do, do you guys think that possibly these Bigfoots have anything to do with missing people? Because I certainly do. Um, I've been up in these woods, oh, God, 43 years. Uh, I'm old now, so at least the last uh, 40 years my since I was a kid. So I honestly believe uh, um, these missing folks that we go looking for, there is something to do with that. And uh, my job is to find the missing, and I, I'm relentless upon it. So I wanted to reach out and see what what uh, their thoughts were on it. Great call. Great question, Jason. Brett, Tobe, your thoughts? Missing people, Bigfoot. Well, I think so. Um, I think the First Nations people have told us that they have varying types of personalities. Um, certain tribes call them cannibals. Certainly they, they, they took women and children uh, in northern uh, North America, Canada, and Alaska. They called it Tonaqua, the basket woman, the whistling woman. She would steal natives and, and throw them in her basket and 
and cannibalize them. These are the stories that the First Nations uh, people still stand by. In fact, they don't even like to talk about the subject matter. But I think this is a personality uh, profile of some of them. Um, there is uh, the added complication that they are magic hybrids of some kind between man and monkey. That really is the baseline of the, the stereotype of what we're talking about here. So um, we're not talking about a human. We're talking about something altogether uh, different and, and hard to believe. So to get to the, the meat of your question here is, yeah, uh, I think unfortunately that is the case sometimes, um, although people listening right now, especially people that think this is a, a benign, a benevolent species only, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that uh, we can leave out this other mystery of what this caller is saying. All right, Jason, thank you for that. Uh, let's say hi to Ron, east of the Rockies. He's in Beaumont, Texas. Ron, good morning. Welcome to Coast. Yes, this is Vaughn. Anyway, um, I uh, heard him, you know, reference Ron Moorhead's work uh, several times, and uh, I've already debunked that uh, Sierra Sounds uh, thing on one of George's you... previous shows. Uh, How did you debunk it, Vaughn? Uh, well, explain. it's under... It's it's on YouTube under the uh, decoding Sasquatch language under the uh, coast to coast AM official comment that's under that I've uh, di- I've transcribed minute and second the slow I mean the normal speed and slow speeds side by side uh, I have the uh, transcription there. And uh, it's very, very clear if someone would go to it and listen to it. Now, what's been happening is that uh, a lot of those sites uh, have nothing but people that are associated with the uh, the hoax. They uh, normally, you know, when I go to a website, when I'm commenting under under their, uh, when I'm making a reply under their comment, it immediately disappears and. Uh, at sites where I usually post, they would post maybe 30 comments above mine. Uh, mine would be a new comment, and theirs would be three months old exactly uh, in some cases, where it would be like 30 comments above mine. And okay, but Vaughn, let me just – the comments aside, the comments aside, yeah. um, what, when you say you've transcribed it, uh-huh. what, what did you, what what did did you discover? Yeah. Okay, let me tell you. Okay, one of them starts out, uh, hey, I hate acting. And then uh, the other one says, well, I don't know. Don't act like me, whatever. And he said, uh, well, now I hear from Winnie the Pooh. And she said, Ron. And he says, uh, I'm thinking. She said, what you thinking? And then uh, he, she started making a lot of garbled noise. And then he said, oh, where the hell you come from? And all of this is very clear on Coast to Coast uh uh, YouTube thing. Uh, I have it on there, and uh, you know, it's uh, intonations, uh, high pitches, low pitches, uh, you know, and uh, but it's clear the way that I have it arranged on there, but nobody's going to it. Uh, they comment around it, but nobody's clicking on it. A lot of this stuff is uh, loaded with, with those people that are participants. I saw Brett, some Brett name come up several times. Uh, you know, well, uh, you know, along the comments, but they erased my replies immediately. You know, 
All right. Well, and listen, uh, Vaughn, thank you for the uh, call. Uh, Hang on, Vaughn. I got a, I got a break. So we'll get um, Tobe and Brett if they want to uh, respond to the, your call after the break. And uh, then we'll also take some more calls. Here's uh, George Harrison stuck inside a cloud taking us into the break on Coast to Coast AM. Filmmakers Tobe Johnson, Brett Eichenberger, stay with us. A flash of beauty, paranormal Bigfoot Tobe, Brett, uh, Ron from Beaumont, Texas, before the break, uh, says that he, I guess, has uh, sort of slowed down the Sierra Sounds recordings from Ron Moorhead. Uh, and basically, he's debunking them. Uh, he um, he says it's a hoax. Now, Ron Moorhead is not here to defend himself. Uh, but, you know, if either of you'd like to weigh in and respond to that, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, Richard, I'll touch on that briefly. Um, I don't believe that they're a hoax. There's been a few people that have come out thinking that they're a hoax. Hoaxing is a part of this this Bigfoot realm. It happens. It happens all the time. And unfortunately, hoaxers, um, you know, do a lot of harm. But in this instance, I believe that what was recorded up in the Sierra Sounds, up in the Sierra Wilderness, was in fact real. And Scott Nelson, the naval cryptolinguist who has analyzed these these sounds, this language, and he determined it was a language, um, it has determined that it would be impossible to hoax. And we talked about this in our very first film, and we're going to be talking about this more in the uh, Sierra Sounds documentary. Um, you know, these are these these sounds are some are produced from a creature that has massive lungs. You know, we're talking about high highs, low lows. And when you really look at them, you know, in waveforms on the computer, you see something that's entirely different than what you would find with human voice and other animals. So um, I would challenge, you know, Vaughn and Beaumont, Texas, to keep doing some research and looking into, uh, you know, some other possibilities. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brendan is in Austin, Texas. Brendan, welcome to Coast. Hello, can you hear Brendan. me? Brendan, yes, go ahead. You're on the line with Tobe Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. Okay, thank you guys so much. Do you guys remember when you were on George Knapp and somebody called in and talked about a gray ET that was really heavy that infiltrated the campsite and was shape-shifting? Because uh, that was me that, that I, I called do, in actually. that night. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you, guys. And I'll be real quick. Um, have you guys found anything about with implants, uh, like people having implants following gray or Sasquatch encounters? And then if a Bigfoot can change shapes and it's a shapeshifter, is it really even a Bigfoot? Or is that something mimicking a Bigfoot? Ah, great questions, Brendan. All right, the implants. Let's tackle that one first, Tobe or Brett. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll try to tackle both these questions here quickly. As it re pertains to implants, uh, a la gray contact or something of that nature, missing time, and then they wake up with something in their neck, unexplainable, or up their nose. Um, certainly, you know, in the proximity of Bigfoot comes a UFO activity. Here we have this overlap question again. Um, that is a part of the phenomenon as far as having these ET experiences in proximity to uh, UFO and Sasquatch experiences. So who's doing what? Uh, certainly, you know, because of that overlap phenomenon, you can't really blame anybody other than the phenomena itself. So that's kind of the blanket term that people are using. 
for what's happening here. Um, when it comes to the second part of the question, what was the second part? I can't remember exactly what he was. Oh, that had to do with uh, if they're shape-shifting, how do, we, how, do, uh, how do we determine if they're actually Bigfoot? Maybe Bigfoot is part of the shape-shifting. Right, yeah. I, you know, um, through uh, you know, the documentary in part two, uh, Paranormal Bigfoot, we, we talked to uh, one of the lead scientists at Skinwalker Ranch, and he brings up the point of Bard Shoop's footage that uh, we're lucky enough to have him review where he is looking over this cloaked, supposed cloaked Sasquatch footage to shot underneath Mount Rainier and is, you know, astounded by the footage like we are here and says something really remarkable that stuck with me that, you know, and looking at this, this figure here, uh, cloaking and bending light, uh, Barb again saw something altogether different with her eyes. The camera caught something else. Uh, he says something remarkable. He goes, it's almost as though this is an arbitrary avatar image of what Sasquatch is supposed to kind of look like. Uh, therefore, you know, this is what people are expecting. This is what they see. I tend to think there might be something to that where people are looking for Bigfoot, so therefore they see Sasquatch. They see these footprints. And then you have this entanglement and this overlap idea where they see these other things and it kind of leads you down this, this rabbit hole uh, rabbit hole altogether. But, yeah, there is, a, you know, this overlap is just so so deep and so overwhelming that at times it's, it's hard to categorize it as just one thing. That's, that's interesting. Um, if we're looking for Bigfoot, we might see Bigfoot. What do you think about the idea that, that uh, Bigfoot, uh, UFOs, perhaps ghosts, much of what falls under the umbrella of paranormal phenomena may be a, a projection, um, sort of something that we've, we, we have in, in, inside us, an internal uh, idea that gets projected outside of the body. I certainly think that, you know, after doing the research that we've done, Richard, I certainly am of the belief that anything is possible. Um, you know, especially some of the stories that we feature in our film. I mean, these, these people and their experiences have completely blown me away, blown us away, I should say. And they defy any of the laws of physics or of the laws of Newtonian science that we've, we've all been educated with. Um, as far as projections concerned, I think, sure, it's certainly possible um, in, in, in a lot of situations that would be considered like maybe a mass hallucination or something. I mean, we know, uh, I mean, there are tens of thousands of reports of mind speak, of telepathy. Um, you know, this goes with, with alien encounters as well. Um, and so, you know, if they're able to get in and tinker with our brain by sending, you know, speaking and whatnot, then they can certainly probably do it with visuals as well. So that's a very interesting point. It's a very interesting question. But, I mean, that certainly doesn't dismiss um, what these folks are experiencing. And, in fact, I think it makes it scarier. You know, if they're able to get into some sort of a nerve system that messes with your optic nerve or however it would be they'd be doing it, I don't know. Um, that, to me, gets very interesting very quickly. <laughs> Oh, it's all very interesting. Uh, let's say hi to uh, Bill is in Los Angeles. Bill, welcome to Coast to Coast. Hi, Brett, Tobin, Richard. 
Uh, I'm a former newspaper reporter interested in uh, documentation of the paranormal. And Connie Willis had uh, Mike Patterson, a.k.a. Uh, Sasquatch Ontario, on her program a couple years ago on Coast. And he played a tape purporting to be a, a Bigfoot interacting with Mike himself in comprehensible English, uh, telling Mike, quote, we love you, after Mike told him uh, we love and, and it was be a kind of a guttural voice in between these oscillating uh, high and low pitches. And uh, I talked to Ron Moorhead uh, recently about that, and uh, Ron gave kind of a, um, a measured response when I asked him about that, that tape, and he said he, w- he would like it if Mike got that authenticated. And then his, his buddy Scott Nelson on the same program told me just outright that Patterson is either hoaxing people or, quote, has an intellectually challenged Bigfoot on his hands. And I was wondering, how, how does English-speaking Bigfoot or does English-speaking Bigfoot, the, the kind that Patterson has purported to document, how does that fit in to your guys' research, and what do you make of it? Good question, Bill. Thank you. Well, you know, um, I've interviewed Mike myself. Uh, some of the behavior that he talks about fits right into the phenomena as far as how this works, as far as the encroachment of Bigfoot activity and how it kind of levels up and experiences get better and better and bigger and bigger. So I was really pleased to hear how, how he described that. I have a huge issue with how this being Nefetia sounds uh, and all the vast audio that he has there talk to him about that. I think it's one of the biggest hurdles he has. But to get to your point as far as language is concerned, I mean, it's such an important topic. That's why it needs kind of its own movie here. That's what Brett and Joe and Mike are about ready to do, um, embrace this idea that Sasquatch speaks, that has a language. And, uh, you know, and then the documentary, we kind of show how that they can spell out things, too. One of the um, you know, a jumping off point from language, of course, is spelling. And if they can spell, uh, in this case, using Scrabble letters, uh, we have a culture that we need to talk about. We have something far more, um, you know, close to us. Uh, these are uncomfortable things, of course, for, for most people to, to believe and understand. But um, with language, with spelling, with these gifting things, everything we've talked about tonight, we have something on par with us, and I think it's time we approach it that way. All right, Bill, thank you for that great call. Great, uh, call. Uh, Victor is in Oregon. Victor, welcome to Coast. Hey, great uh, show, Richard. You're doing a thank great you. job there with this Bigfoot in-depth study. But I, I would like to say, are you there? Yeah, we're listening. We're listening. Oh, okay. Yes, go ahead. I would like to say that uh, extraterrestrials have an interest in certain species, and I think Bigfoot is one of them. And Bigfoot is definitely a humanoid uh, species, closer related related to human beings, and not monkeys or apes or anything like that. And uh, because they stand upright, they have the same characteristics as a human being, I mean, uh, Homo sapiens. And I believe that the drones and orbs that we see are actually highly advanced uh, drones released by UFOs to guard over and watch over Bigfoot. And uh, you can probably expect that the implants are mostly uh, in 
the Bigfoot creatures themselves so they can keep track. There aren't that many Bigfoot uh, creatures left. It's a dwindling species. And um, I believe that uh, they are definitely a subspecies of human and uh, that we should be very careful with them. And as far as cannibalism, human beings practice uh, cannibalism as, as much as Bigfoot does. So, you know, and as, as far as sh- um, the shape-shifting, et cetera, you can expect that this is being conducted by the extraterrestrials to protect Bigfoot through some sort of telepathic communication or, like you said at one time, a visual um, hallucination of some type. Because I I believe that there are flesh flesh and blood creatures just like you. All right, Victor, interesting theories. So they're flesh and blood, but it's the, uh, the ETs that are sort of looking out for this dwindling population and so they're using cloaking and so forth to protect them um i don't know uh, uh brett and tobe if you want to weigh in on that before we take the next call go ahead yeah i think that's certainly possible victor um i do think i mean i agree with you in the fact that they're flesh and blood but they're flesh and blood to a certain extent they're flesh and blood that have uh paranormal um abilities and you know this again there's animals in the animal kingdom that light up you know, could you imagine a human that that could light up? Um, you know, that would be considered next to paranormal. So we see some of this stuff in the animal kingdom as, as it is. And, and, you know, obviously uh, there's some animals that can come pretty darn close to cloaking as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories as to what the relationship is between aliens and Bigfoot. Um, you know, and I just want to go back to the implant thing. I have actually heard people that have had um, implants, or they believe to have had implants um, that they've found, you know, years after a certain camping event or something like that. But, and and at the same time, they've had Bigfoot encounters. Um, so there could, that could be, you know, they could be in cohorts. You know, there, there there seems to be some sort of a relationship there. I'm not sure what that is, um, and uh, you know, we're looking into it as much as we can. All right, Victor, thank you for that. I probably won't have time for another call. Um, there, There's a, um, uh, I don't know if it's a father and son that had a, quite, a, quite a remarkable sighting in the film. And, and the father, or the older gentleman anyway, says, you know, what was that sighting? A one in a billion, one in two billion, you know, chance, why us? Um, and that got me to thinking, yeah, why, why uh, does Bigfoot choose uh, to to reveal himself to some people and not others. This is a great this is a great question, Richard. So that was Harold and Cody, and um, Harold and Cody are boss and employee. Harold owns a construction company near the Central Oregon coast, Southern Oregon coast. I'm sorry, and um, they were driving into work uh, about two years ago on a November morning, about 10 a.m., when they witnessed something standing by the side of the road. And, you know, Harold brings up a lot of great points and that that chances of one in a billion, one in two billion, it could be one in 10 billion for what they saw is is a great point. And I've wondered ever since we've learned about this encounter, you know, these things um, have sort of this intelligence that is kind of hard to conceive of from a human perspective. 
And, and I would think that they would be very, very well aware of the fact that there's two humans that are observing what is happening and what is taking place. And so part of me believes that this is intentional. Um, there's a number of sightings that, that we've learned about over the years where it does feel like the, the Bigfoot is revealing themselves. I've heard and read a number of theories about how UFOs don't really need to use lights. I mean, what are, the, what are they trying to avoid airplanes or whatnot? It, it seems to me that they want us to see them, you know, like they're saying, hey, you know, look, look up here. And people, unfortunately, are very busy and, you know, not a lot of people end up paying attention or I don't know what's going on because I think if people watch the skies and watch the forest more, there would be a lot more sightings. Um, certain clans of Bigfoot, I believe, are, are very shy. And again, they, they, they all, they're all different, like I was saying earlier in the show. So, you know, it's, it's a great question, but I do think it's purposeful. I do think there's, there's meaning behind it. All right, Brett and Tope, we're going to have to leave it right there. Uh, again, they can watch the uh, A Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot Vimeo.com forward slash uh, order um, uh, on demand forward slash Paranormal Bigfoot Vimeo.com forward slash order on demand or sorry, not order on demand, on demand video.com forward slash on demand forward slash Paranormal Bigfoot. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Tobe. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Super duper love. Sugar Billy taking us into the break. And when we come back, one of the greatest aviation mysteries of all time, the disappearance of flight MH370. Solved, perhaps? You'll find out right after these on Coast to Coast AM. <laughs> 